this stuff. Hello, and welcome, or welcome back, to Play This, uh, the video game podcast where two best buds talk about lots of video game stuff. I'm Max. I'm Daniel. I feel like I'm always really trying to hit the exclamation mark in Play This. I don't know if I'm always getting it. I think you are. Well, thank you. That was a really great setup for you to compliment me. You (laughs) took the bait. I appreciate that. But I'm curious... To hear your, like, how would you get the exclamation point um, in there? Okay. Uh, welcome to play this. Oh, that was like a video game announcer. Or oh. a game show announcer, rather. Like, a, Oh, thank you. Like, a, you would be doing The Price is Right. <laughs> Come on down! You get a video game impressions. <laughs> well, anyway, this is uh, not our, uh, you know tv game show podcast recap this is our video game podcast recap mm-hmm. so uh let's get started yeah so it's holiday season right now it is happy holidays thank you happy Black hanukkah Lives. oh yeah it's the fifth night of hanukkah as we were as we are recording this cool daniel how many nights in hanukkah are there uh so we did sort of a warm-up recording before this and i thought there were 12 for a hot second I realize that there's eight now. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair to you, eight is kind of a, a non-usual number when we're considering either the holidays or just weeks. Right, yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit, you know, different. I mean, I've also had a Jewish man as a friend for over half my life now, so I do wow. feel... That's true. We did meet that. after I turned 13, <laughs> so I was already a man. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... By Jewish law. I've told you this before, and uh, you've been a 30-year-old man to me since you were 14 years old. Well, hey, we start young. You, know? <laughs> you do your bar mitzvah, your bat mitzvah, and you're an adult. You're cast off into the world. I don't know if you know this, but you actually legally have to move out of your house. <laughs> so that explains the old worn-down shack I used to visit you at. <laughs> That's right. Well, happy holidays to you out there. This will probably go up um a little bit closer to the end of hanukkah and uh we'll we'll do another podcast but not till after christmas mm-hmm. and uh, kwanzaa happens as well so uh you know it's a great season it's been a great year for video games oh, and yeah. we're excited to talk about more video games today yes so last episode mm-hmm. uh we were previewing um the video game awards and psx and you were giving some predictions right so let's go through your predictions and what you got right and what you got wrong Okay, so why didn't I just get all the stuff I oh, got? Oh, became a game show again. <laughs> <laughs> I only know the Price is Right theme song, apparently, which is not a game show where you quiz people on what they got right or wrong. Anyway, my video game <laughs> awards predictions. I'll just start with the stuff that I got wrong, because there's a lot more of it. I guess the WB Games would be there. Right. They did not show up at all. Ed Boon was there, but he just gave an award for Best Fighting Game. No, he won the award for Best Fighting Game. He gave the award for something. I don't remember. <laughs> best something. Yeah, Best something. I think it was... That's a good way to kind I, of sum up the Game Awards. I think it was Best Game Direction or something. Yeah, the Game Awards are not really about the awards they present. No. They put way more focus on the reveals. They're and much that's... more about Hideo Kojima showing up. <laughs> we'll get to that. In theme t-shirts. We'll get to that. I was completely wrong about W Games showing up. 
I thought that there'd be Rocksteady stuff. I thought that there'd be port key game stuff. None of that was present in any shape or form. Sometimes when you say port key games, I'm hearing porky games. <laughs> and I'm really wishing that like Porky Pig had his own line of video games now. <laughs> Batman Arkham Asylum. Oh, no, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> you went for it. I, uh, I thought Telltale would be there. And they did not show up for the first time in like two or three years. So, that sucks for me, but Does not it? for the Game Awards. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, it sucks because my prediction was oh, wrong. Oh, I see. It didn't suck in any oh. other way. I think it's probably good that they took a year I off. I know Jeff Keeley's listening to this, so <laughs> if you're, you know, when you're considering the Game Awards next year, if you could please hew a little bit closer to Daniel's predictions, oh, yeah. we'd really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jeff. Really, those are the two big things I was wrong about. Then I either got stuff half right or totally right. Well, I like this. I like that we're building up. So yes. we got, let's, what, did, what did you get half right? That's the next step. So I guessed that there would be a Death Stranding gameplay trailer he at did. the show. That's right. Uh, that Hidekajima himself would show up. Hidekajima showed up with a Death Stranding trailer, but it was not gameplay. It was not gameplay. It was another eight minute long cinematic <laughs> trailer yeah. with no gameplay at all. <laughs> But more babies. More <laughs> people online are calling this trailer Norman Reedus Vores the Baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not wrong. <laughs> and oh man, that trailer. I feel like I'm not the first person to echo the sentiment. I'm not even the first or the closest person to say this. But I'm going to play that game when it comes out in twenty twenty or whatever. <laughs> and I'm going to beat it and I think i'm still not going to understand a thing about it yeah it's so weird and i'm going to get it i don't think it's going to be good when i play that game i really just want to see what it is i mean it's definitely way too early to tell whether or not the game will be good but i will say that based off of the trailers that have come out so far i'm not planning on getting this game right it doesn't look like something thematically or story-wise that is interesting to me right um, I was saying to you when we were watching the trailer that it looks a little bit like Dead Space to me. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, well, maybe it doesn't look like Dead Space, but I'm getting Dead Space vibes from it. Uh, and they did. I did read something interesting that one of the concepts for the game is that, you know, the the concept of dying being game over in video games is something that comes from the arcade era. Right. It was a way to get you to keep spending money, to put more coins in the slot. Yes. And that one of the things that they're trying to do with this game potentially is rethink that system yeah and so when you die in this game you're not really dead right it's just a different place to be yeah you just like reawaken in the tar pit or something right and that's an interesting idea it really is yeah um and i like that i i will definitely gonna talk about this when we talk about undertale but i appreciate (laughs) when games take a moment to re-examine the industry yes because compared to other forms of media it's obviously still a very young industry yes and so i like that we're in this phase now where creators of all kinds up all the way now to kojima right are saying what are we doing with video games because it's how we've always done it yes and how can we do it differently Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways because of the way games are played there's a lot of restrictions there's a lot of limits on how you can tell stories yeah um so the fact and you know i mean we've had visual novels who have been playing with these boundaries and other games who have been playing with boundaries for years but i think it's a really exciting place to be in the industry when these big triple a kind of games are messing with the systems that have been created 
Yeah, I agree completely with that. I do actually love how experimental Death Stranding looks. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be a successful experiment yet. <laughs> right. But the fact that such a big developer gets to take so many risks, right. that is actually awesome. Yeah. And, well, and like I said, that all being said, I'm still not, at this point, planning on buying the game. Right. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Yeah. That. Yes. Which, of course, we still don't even know very much. So yeah. anything I'm saying now could change or be wrong. But right. from what it looks like from now. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't believe that for the third year, the third year in a row, <laughs> we still have not seen actual gameplay of this game. Yeah. I guess I should maybe believe it. That should not have been a complete surprise to me, but it's still a little nuts. Well, I, I love it at the Game Awards after the video, uh, Kojima and Norman Reedus came out. Yeah. And at the end of the little speech that Reedus made, he was like, after it comes out, I'm going to have to watch... <laughs> the you know, I'm gonna have to go on the internet to find out what happened. Yeah, it's like, well, he's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty much what like everyone's saying in interviews. It's like, yeah, Kojima's explained some of the story to me. I don't get it yet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Death Stranding, I got half right, and then Nintendo came out. One thing I guessed was that Nintendo would announce a game that we don't know exists yet that would come out around February. That was correct. I was wrong about the game. <laughs> I thought they would announce Smash Bros. for the Switch and it'd right. be like an upgraded port of the right. Wii U version. They announced Bayonetta 1 and 2 for the Switch. Mm -hmm. And then something I didn't predict at all, they announced Bayonetta 3, that it was in development as coming exclusively to the Switch. I didn't, I didn't guess that at all. That was a surprise. And it's cool. Yeah. I haven't played any of the Bayonetta games. No. I don't know if I'm going to get those ports. I don't know if I'm going to get Bayonetta 3. I think this this announcement falls into the category of news that's big in the general gaming world. Yes. But news that has no impact on our lives. Yes, correct. Because I also do not play the Bayonetta series. I don't plan on paying the Bayonetta series. But yeah. I know a lot of people love it. And mm -hmm. it's a really highly regarded series. Oh, and yeah. it's big news that it's coming to the Switch. No, those are... Those are high quality video games, like production value wise, especially. So, but I, the theme of the news this week for me, I guess, is big important games that I have no interest in playing. <laughs> yeah, Nintendo did that, and then my last prediction, although it was technically one of my first predictions, they would show the new Breath of the Wild DLC. They mm -hmm. would show the Champions Ballad, and that they would announce the release date, and that the release date would probably be. That day, the day that it, the day of the Game Awards, they'd be like, it's releasing now. And I was right on the money about you that. Were. I was 100% yeah. right. They Very impressive. They show the Champions Ballad. I'm patting you on the back right now. Just so thank people at home know. Thank you for both the, the announcement and the pat. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty proud of that one. That was yeah. a very Nintendo move. <laughs> But it's still a bit of a shock that they did it at the Game Awards and not, like, at one of their own events. So I'm I'm proud of that one. Well, you did a good job. I'm proud of you. That was, that was like, a 25% correct rate. Yeah, but <laughs> it was better than my guesses, which were non-existent. <laughs> uh, that, that's the most wrong I've been about at Game Awards. I've been better good predicting timing. those in the past. Yeah. You just started doing yeah, a podcast. Not, yeah, now, now you want to be wrong? Right, yeah. Now that we're documenting my predictions, yeah. I... I suck, 
But I'm excited to predict more things in the future. This is a terrible Twelfth Night of Hanukkah gift. (laughs) (laughs) So those were the predictions (laughs) from the Game Awards. But there were a couple other highlights from the Game Awards we wanted to touch on. Uh, I think most notable for me was the In the Valley of uh, Gods trailer. Yeah, yes. From uh, Campo Santos. Mm -hmm. Camp Santos? Campo Campo Santos. Santos. Campo Santo. Yeah, it's either... It's either Campo Santo or just Campo Santo. We should probably look that up one day. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the the developers who made Firewatch uh, that came out on the PlayStation 4 last year? Yeah. Yeah, last year. I think early 2016. Yeah, which was a game that I played. Mm -hmm. Spoilers, it's on my list for you to play. Oh, okay. Uh, And so this is their follow-up to that game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not a sequel, but right. it's their creative Spiritu- follow-up. Yeah, spiritual sequel, I guess. Like, it looks similar to Firewatch in a lot of ways. It's got a similar animation style. Yeah, first person, mm-hmm. looks very narrative. Yeah. And it looks really neat. I think the trailer was very well done. Like, the song they selected. Oh, it was along- a beautifully produced trailer. Oh, yeah. For sure. No, that was a good trailer. <laughs> Kojima could take a note or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the game looks cool. The setting is mm-hmm. very unique. Yeah. And it just looks like a kind of story that we haven't really experienced in video games, which is kind of what Firewatch tried to do, I think, also. It did, and I, I look forward to the conversation we have about Firewatch when that day comes. Uh, just from the trailer alone, it does look like they're going to kind of hone in on some of the strong points of Firewatch in this game. Uh, the character development, the story, the visual style. Yeah. And those things were some of the strongest components of firewatch and i'm excited to see them in a new story yeah in a new setting yeah also i really like the character design of like the one character that you see in that trailer <laughs> yeah, too. she looks awesome she does yeah and not to make a big deal out of it but i think one thing i did appreciate in the trailer uh was that the only character you saw was a woman of color actually not just her but the protagonist you oh, can yeah. see her arms and stuff you can tell it's a woman and you can tell she's also a person of color I just, I don't want to make a big deal out of it, but I think it is a big deal. (laughs) I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. And I was really excited to see that. Yeah, same. It's cool. I'm looking forward to that game. It's coming out in 2019, which no longer feels like a very long time. (laughs) I feel like if they announced this like two months ago and we're like 2019, I'd be like, that's forever from now. It's basically 2018 already. Yes, exactly. So I'm I'm excited. Hopefully it's earlier 2019 than later. But. Yeah, that looks like a day one purchase for me. Oh, yeah. All right, so that's In the Valley of Gods. And we had one other highlight from the Video Game Awards, which is kind of an ironic highlight, I think, really. <laughs> a little bit. I am excited for this game. So we're talking about A Way Out. Right. A Way Out is what Joseph Farris needed from that interview. <laughs> so first I'll explain what A Way Out is. It's... It's a game by Joseph Farris. He's usually an indie developer. He made uh, Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, mm-hmm. that like game where you control two brothers, one with one thumbstick and the right. other with the other thumbstick. Uh, very... very highly regarded game for its narrative ability. Yeah. EA uh, picked oh, Joseph Farris up. This is actually a good EA <laughs> yeah, conversation. Right? Yes, yeah. EA picked up Joseph Farris and said, hey, we're going to give you as much money as you want to make an experimental game that you want to make, but will do a triple-A production value on it. A Way Out is the story about two prisoners that break out of prison, and it's a 
split-screen co-op game. It's exclusively split-screen co-op, and you can play it locally or online, but it's split-screen either way, because it wants the players to have both perspectives uh, at all times in the game, and it does that in really interesting ways. Joseph Ferris is a very passionate man. Very passionate man. (laughs) And at the Game Awards, he showed off the game, he showed a new trailer for it, and he was super duper drunk or something. Allegedly. Yeah. He <laughs> he said it was jet lag. Let's I not think. get sued on our third podcast. <laughs> In the interview he let's see, what did he do? He he said fuck the Oscars, he flipped he off did. the camera. Yeah. Uh he said that no matter who plays this game, it's going to be the best game they've ever played. No, he said <laughs> if you play this game all the way to the end, you can't say it was a bad game. Right. Because I think more the gist of what he was saying. Right, yeah. He said that as Which a is fact. like worse to me because it's like preemptively <laughs> saying that there are going to be people who start playing this game and stop because it's bad <laughs> like he's already it sounds like he's no, already no, fighting no, that argument right? Like, you're right you're right he went on for such a long tirade he he shit on ea the people publishing this game he's like oh this doesn't have any ea bullshit in right. it like microtransactions but then went on to like defend them in the same sentence almost right because one of the things they're doing with the game is you only have to buy one copy yes so if you it has the local and the online co-op but either way you only need one copy which is a that's, cool thing to do no that's awesome Good job, i EA. love that yeah no, it was, a, it was a very funny speech. I love that Jeff Keeley had to cut him off halfway through because his speech was almost longer than his trailer. It probably was longer. <laughs> so that's a way out. <laughs> and more importantly, that's uh, Joseph Fares's interview from the Game Awards. If you haven't seen the clip or you didn't watch the Game Awards, we recommend it. It's it's a entertaining viewing. And, yeah. you know, there's an argument to be made that video games need more personalities like that at the forefront. Uh, one thing I I did want to say about that interview, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the interview specifically is something really funny happened about a month ago. Some EA assets actually leaked, right? EA sent an email uh, meant for like business executives, right? Like it's like marketing plans for a couple of their games. They sent it to customers by mistake. <laughs> right. And and they leaked some information. One of those is that one of their indie games is coming out for the Nintendo Switch and it's going to be announced in a Nintendo Direct that's apparently happening in January. Uh, but the other marketing sheet they accidentally leaked was for a way out. But one of the things they said for their marketing plan was Joseph Ferris is a very passionate man and his personality is really electrifying. We should get him out there, but be wary of controversy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they—they yeah. they knew. They knew already. Yeah, whoever put to that memo together right? was spot on. Yeah, they really were. So, in addition to uh, the video game awards, you also made some predictions about PSX, which was happening that same weekend. Yes. So let's go through those real quick. Right. So I was less sure about what would happen at PSX. But one thing I was pretty sure about is that it would be a lower scale event compared to previous BSXs. And was, because of Paris Games Week being so over the top. Yes, uh, I was definitely right about that. I thought that maybe Devil May Cry would be there, maybe Soul Calibur Six would be there. Devil May Cry was not there. No. Soul Calibur Six was, but it was actually announced at the Game Awards before PSX. <laughs> 
Which like, you have to wonder why. Yeah, <laughs> why like... they made that choice? <laughs> I'm not sure. Soul Calibur Six looks cool. Yeah, I'm glad it exists. It looks like they're basically doing a time rewind. Mm-hmm. Soul Calibur Five was a time skip, like it focused on the main characters' kids and stuff. Soul Calibur Six has announced that it's going back to the events of the first Soul Calibur game, which is why Sophia and Mitsurugi look so young in that trailer. And remind me, you're not a Soul Calibur player. I play Soul Calibur, but I'm not a good Soul Calibur <laughs> player. I'm not good at it. You were really into Soul Calibur back in the day. I was. I think specifically Soul Calibur 2. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's the guy. one that had the um, the kind of map navigation system for the first player campaign. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm adding that game to your list real quick. Because... I played Soul Calibur 2. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. then I'm, I'm not adding it to yeah. your list. No, no I, I played through the GameCube version. Okay. Uh, played a lot of Link. Mm. It was good times. Yeah, that's a great game. Yeah. I said about six. One thing I hope they add back is the character creator. Yeah. After yeah. after six got announced, I just loaded up my save file of four and looked through all the characters that I made in that. <laughs> I made a lot of characters that How I many forgot about. Did you make? I made like twenty. Were they all references to media? Most of them were. <laughs> Let's see. I had Leonidas from Three Hundred. Nice. I had oh, yeah, I had right. Panthro and Chitara from Thundercats. I had half the cast of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Oh man. <laughs> uh, I had Francisca von Karma with Ivy's whip. I also made a version of myself that I called Husby, which is my middle name. That's true. That's a true fact about Daniel. And uh, and I I had more hair back then, so I gave him the big afro. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was he was great. He looked good. Did, was there a squirrel on the afro? <laughs> oh God! All right, so. Long story short, when I was in the 8th grade, two squirrels fell on my head. I had an afro, so their fall was cushioned by my afro, and none of us were hurt. I got a small (laughs) nick on my ear, and I went to the nurse's office, and they said I was fine. That's the whole story. Max loves it. Max loves that story. It's a great story. (laughs) But Uh, back to video games. (laughs) Back to video games. So Soul Calibur 6 was there. Yeah, Soul Calibur 6 was was there, but it was announced at TGA first. I thought that what we would get a focus on is a lot of smaller announcements and maybe like a new indie game for PS4. I was pretty right about those. They Most of their new game announcements were VR stuff. They announced The Last Guardian VR. They announced Wipeout VR. Those things are going to be free downloads. The Last Guardian VR is going to be like a standalone free download. Wipeout VR is going to be a free update for the Wipeout collection that's out right now. And uh, the biggest thing they announced was Medieval Remastered. (laughs) I don't... I mean, I wasn't expecting that. Were you expecting that? No, I wasn't, actually. Uh, That's a surprise. I don't know if it's a cool surprise, but it's, it's there. I don't think either of us have a lot of experience with the Medieval games, but I... Intrigued now, because... That used to be my, uh, Sir Daniel used to be my go-to character in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Oh, yeah. I love, even though he's so underpowered compared <laughs> to a lot of other characters in that game, I he was my main. I loved playing with him. He, he was, was so cool. much fun. So, like, I feel more attached to that character now, even though I did not play those games growing up. That's really And funny. I actually might check out the remaster because of that. So, okay. good job, PlayStation Battle Star Royale <laughs> Masters. I had the original, and... 
it's fine. It's a 3D platformer. I don't remember liking it that much, but I played about half of it. Maybe the second half was really good. I don't know. Or the remaster will make it all super great. Yeah, that sounds... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most interesting small announcement I think they made was Donut County, this little yeah. indie game. Yeah. This indie game where you are a hole. <laughs> You're a hole and you want things to fall in you and you can solve puzzles depending on what the hole... Yeah. It, yeah. it looks like a a puzzly single screen version of the inverse of Katamari Damacy. Yes. Yeah. And that's really cool. That comes out 2018. I'm really interested in that. Yeah. The art style hooked me immediately. The The trailer was just so well produced. The music was great. The raccoons were hilarious. Yes, they were. They were actually super cute. The I mean, hilarious might be a little strong, but they were definitely super cute. Yeah. Like when I was watching them, like, is this going to be them trying too hard to be humorous? But I think they hit just the right note. Actually. I agree. I'm more excited about that game than I thought I could be for a game like that. Agreed. Yeah. Looks really cool. Definitely on my radar now. And I think the last thing was uh, the Detroit Spring 2018. Yes. Um, I guess that they would announce some release dates. They did announce one release date. Detroit Become Human is coming out Spring 2018. That's about it. I thought maybe that there'd be a release date for God of War. They didn't mention that in the slightest. But yeah, so I got that half right. And then there were a couple other highlights from PSX to talk about. In addition to the uh, to the predictions. Right. I, I thought what was interesting coming out of PSX was um, we got a little bit more detail on Ghost of Tsushima. It is right? indeed an open world game. Yeah. I wasn't completely off the rocker there. And I think most interestingly, during the panel... They were like, they asked the audience if they'd play the game with Japanese narration, and the audience gave a big cheer, and then they're like, cool, thanks, and then didn't mention it again. <laughs> so, I don't know, I mean, you kind of medium case scenario, that means we'll have Japanese dialogue as an option. Yeah. Best case scenario, we'll have Japanese dialogue as the default with English subtitles. Which would be really cool. That would be super, I mean, if you're sending a game in feudal Japan, and, you know, they're talking about how they have... Um, Japanese creators on the team. They're working with this, with people to make sure that the game is representative, yeah. not appropriation. Yes. I think if you're doing all that stuff and you're building this game out to be kind of the story of feudal Japan, that'd be totally sweet if the dialogue was in Japanese. I agree completely. I don't need every video game to be in English. Yeah, I agree completely. I always love when a game or even a piece of media like really goes for it there. It's like, okay, it's set here. It's actually going to be authentically in this language. That's always great. <laughs> Omnimusha 3 does not do that. <laughs> and it's actually really hilarious because all the scenes that take place in, in feudal Japan were dubbed in English. But there's another sequence of events that happens in France. That's in French. <laughs> Video games as a medium are so behind the curve on representation. Yeah. And I... To go back a little bit to the um, in the Valley of Gods conversation, like right. I, there finally is some momentum in that regard. There's finally some awareness in that regard. Yeah, and I just I'm glad to see that, but I want to see it continue to develop because yeah. so much of video games is not always the right way to represent cultures. Yes, and the better we can get about that, the better the medium will be. I mean, it, it will only make games better. It will only make the community better, and I, I really hope it keeps moving forward. Yeah, what viewers can't see is that I'm nodding a lot to this. I couldn't agree more, and I think we're on the right track, too. Yeah. But I think what's important 
as we're talking about Ghost of Tsushima, is understanding that Sucker Punch is a Western studio. Yes. And being cautiously optimistic that they will do this correctly. Yeah. Without tokenism. Yes. Without appropriation. Yes. It's possible. And so far, it looks like they are trying to approach that in the right way. Yeah. It's not for me to say necessarily whether or not they succeed as a white person. Yeah. But I am cautiously optimistic that they are doing their, their due diligence and doing their best. And where we are with games right now, that's a lot to ask of studios sometimes. And that's frustrating at times, but it is getting better. I feel agreed. I agree. We talked about a little bit with Pyre too, and the not assuming pronouns. Yes. And how as protagonists of that game, you got to choose your pronouns and there was a gender neutral pronoun option. Yeah. Um, and that's great. No, I loved that. That was really cool. Um, you have one other list on the on the uh, video game news. I don't know if you want to talk about it. It's Pokemon, so you probably do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Crystal is coming to the 3DS Virtual Console January 26th. Not a lot to say besides that, but I'm going to get it, and I'm going to Nuzlocke it. I'm gonna, oh, yeah? yeah? Like, right off the bat? Yeah, I'm just going to... Straight I've never, Yeah, I've never played Crystal before, but I have played Gen 2 before, so I feel like that's a great game to nuzlocke because there'll be some things that i haven't experienced there'll be some surprises for me in that game but i also know enough about it that i won't just die on the second gym i was about to ask you the dumbest possible question and then i remembered who i was talking to i was gonna ask you who your starter was going to be obviously so daniel (laughs) has played every single pokemon mainline game that's ever come out and he's only ever chosen firestar well actually the thing about that is my first playthrough of any generation that's when I pick fire starters. That's you're right. That's the more clear way to say it. He always yes. starts with the fire starter. Yeah. When once I play like other games of that generation, I will try non fire starters. Sure. So I probably will not pick Cyndaquil Ooh. in this run. Uh, but I'm undecided between Chikorita or Totodile. I might go for Totodile because Totodile is super cute. Uh, his yeah. evolved form is super badass looking, and if I pick Chikorita. That means my playthrough is going to be very hard. And if it's a Nuzlocke, <laughs> I might be screwing myself there. So Totodile is yeah. a good, a good. Hey, Totodile! I mean, let's be honest. Totodile is cuter. Oh yeah, I love Totodile. I, I like Cyndaquil a lot. I like I actually like that whole evolution chain, um, which I I'm less fond of the fire starters than you are as, as a right. as a rule. But yeah, Totodile is pretty sweet. Oh yeah, Totodile is probably my favorite Gen two starter. Yeah, I, I'd probably agree with that. Just on yeah. looks. Oh yeah, he's yeah. got the sweet looks. Yeah. Don't judge a book by its cover, but that's a sweet little crocodile cover right there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Man, just wait till a mainline Pokemon game comes out. This podcast is going to be nothing but Pokemon. <laughs> it's just going to be Daniel in a room by himself. I <laughs> don't even realize that I've left. <laughs> It's an uh, hour and a half of straight pokies. Oh, All right, so I, that's the news. No, I'm cutting you off. Nope, that's no. enough. Nope, no more Pokemon for you for today. Uh, we need to work on your addiction. Uh, so that's the news <laughs> from the week. Yeah. Uh, the weeks, rather. Mm-hmm. What are it, So I guess now it's the time we talk about what have we been playing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'll start. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, last week I played, I to, or last time, last episode. Right. I told you that I was about five or six hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Right. I am 60 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 2 now. That ramped up quickly. It's all I've been playing for the past (laughs) two weeks, basically. And so 
if I remember correctly, when you were at that early point in the game, you were enjoying it, but you weren't convinced yet. Yeah. Um, you really loved Xenoblade uh, Chronicles 1 for the Wii U? Wii, just Wii. Wii. But you weren't super convinced on 2 yet. 2 is really good. It's it's grown on me a lot. There's a lot that I love about it. It kind of knocks the gameplay and mechanics and the exploration out of the park. Those parts of the game are so addictive, so fun, and I I just get lost in them, you know? I, mm-hmm. I play over so long. And story, I wasn't hooked on it at first. I am enjoying it now, and I'm appreciating a lot of the characters, but that still is not as good as Xenoblade 1. And sure. I think I still will like Xenoblade 1 more overall, but Xenoblade 2 is very much worth my time. It's still a lot of fun. I like it more than I don't, for sure. Do you think, given how head over heels you were for the first Xenoblade, that it was possible to like this game as much as you liked the first one? The stakes were definitely higher for Xenoblade 2, I think. Yeah. If that makes sense. I didn't go into Xenoblade Chronicles 1 with a lot of expectations. Right. And it kind of swept the rug out from under me, and I fell in love with it. Xenoblade Xenoblade Chronicles 2 had one of my new favorite games of all time to compare itself to. That kind of gives it more to prove. Yeah, I I think you're right about that on some level. But also, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 does make some choices that I wouldn't have liked even if Xenoblade Chronicles 1 didn't exist. Gotcha. Mostly some of the character designs. So how much left in the game do you have, do you think? I'm at chapter five now. I know there's at least seven chapters. I think I'm going to end up putting more than a hundred hours into this game before I beat it. JRPGs. Yeah, especially Xenoblade. That's the the first game is also super duper long, but worth every minute. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm about two thirds done right gotcha. now. Good game. Doesn't beat one of my favorites, but it doesn't need to to be really good. A good game in its own right. Yes, good game in its own right, absolutely. It does a lot of things different, but the different things are still good, and it does make some really nice improvements over Xenoblade Chronicles 1, some nice little quality of life stuff. It's way easier to keep track of side quests now. Oh, that's always good. Yeah, and since that game is like 70% side (laughs) quests, that's a really good feature. That's a lot of side quests. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. How about you? What have you been playing? Well, obviously I've been playing Undertale, since that's the game that you uh, recommended to me last session. Obviously. I actually finished it at 4 a.m. this morning, so (laughs) if you, the listener at home, have picked up on a little extra weirdness or slowness from me today, that's why. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I was playing that. I was out of town for a lot of the weeks in between our podcast recording, visiting family, so Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a lot of time to play too much else, but... I beat the mainline story in Odyssey, uh, finally. <laughs> in oh, Super you Mario did? Odyssey. Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. Uh, so now I'm just collecting power moons at my leisure. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my sister gave me Breath of the Wild for Hanukkah, cool. so I started playing that a little bit on the plane ride back from Florida. Nice. And since I kind of shit on mobile games as a whole in the last session, I will walk that back a little bit and say that I'm playing Post Night. 
which um, is not, I don't think it's a new mobile game. I think it's been around for a little bit. Post Night. Post Night. Yeah, it's a little RPG side scrolly action game huh. where you play as a knight who delivers mail. And it's adorable, and it's a good time waster. Okay. And it handles um, the kind of mobile aspect of games pretty well. You don't have to buy anything. It's definitely not pay to win. Uh, when you want to recover health, you can either spend gems, which you earn in game, which you can obviously buy with money, or you can watch an ad, which is like 20 seconds. Okay. So, you know, that's not so bad. Yeah. And that's also optional. You don't ever have to do that. You can just wait. Yeah. Still a mobile game. <laughs> Right. Still has a lot of problems. Right. But, you know, I want to walk back shitting on mobile games as a whole. Post Night is a good little mobile game. Nice. Cool. That sounds really cute, actually. I've never heard of that game. I think before. you'd like it. Okay. I think you, that's my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not. But no, okay. do play Post Night. It's great. Okay. So, walking back, you're walking I'm doing back. A lot of walking back. <laughs> you did just mention that you got Breath of the Wild. I did. How are you liking that so far? I it's great. Um, wow. Okay. It's really really good, which is not a revelatory opinion to have. No, but it is for you because you don't like Zelda games. I don't not like Zelda games. Okay. I just didn't grow up with Nintendo systems. Okay. okay. So I didn't. And this is a great co- topic of conversation. I think for another podcast is the systems we had growing up. Yeah. But um, I never had a Nintendo console until i moved in with stephanie and she had a wii right and you guys played the bachelor you guys (laughs) she played the bachelor (laughs) how dare you i had a few of the handheld systems but because i wasn't able to play ocarina of time or oh god 4am i'm blanking on the name now majora's mask oh majora's mask right because i wasn't able to play either of those as kid as a kid I didn't seek out the uh, handheld Zelda games. Right. Um, So, yeah, this is my first console Zelda experience that I'm playing by myself. And it's it's an amazing game. There are some things that I wish it didn't do. Like, I think the weapon system is stupid. (laughs) And things break way too quickly for no reason. It's It's very frustrating. It's frustrating. I agree. I just don't understand the purpose. I don't know if it's to artificially make the game more difficult. I don't really get the design decision behind it. Yeah, it's interesting because this is the first Zelda game to ever do that. Sure. Yeah, like there's any other Zelda game you play, if you get an item, you keep it for the rest of your life. I mean, I think part of it's because they introduced a lot more items than they usually have. There are like way more weapons available to you. Yeah. And there's not really, at least for where I am in the game now... There's never a functional reason why you would want a Boko Club over a sword. Right. So, like, you don't need to have one in your inventory at all times. Yeah. But it isn't a fun way to play a game where you're, like, where you're hoarding equipment because you don't want to use the good stuff. Yeah. Even though there's no reason not to use the good stuff because all enemies are as easily beatable as the others, essentially. I think it does. I think that's their way to try to, like, put difficulty in the game because if you always have good weapons then the game is probably a little too easy. Right. But so it's just, it's an artificial way to make the game more difficult. That's fair. I just don't understand that decision. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But like, I don't understand why you would do that. Yeah. Uh, but that quibble aside, it's a phenomenal game. I Where I am now, I still think Odyssey is my preferred Switch open world game of the year. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I am a guy that loves Zelda games. Mm-hmm. I've played almost all of them. 
very nearly all of them. And Mario Odyssey is the game that I like more than Zelda this year. There's just something about the exploration in Odyssey that just feels more rewarding isn't the right word, but it feels more satisfying to me. It does. I think Mario Odyssey's way of having a bunch of smaller contained open worlds, all with a bunch of unique things to do in them, uh, sort of lets us stand out a bit more. Breath of the Wild's, like, big, overwhelming, expansive open world is also really cool. Very cool. And there are much fewer points of, like, not having anything to do than I was expecting. They really do fill that world with a lot of cool stuff. But I think there are sort of gaps in activity Yeah. for Breath of the Wild. We're just sort of meandering that Mario Odyssey doesn't have because it's so tight in experience. Sure. I mean, it's still early days for me. I'm only maybe five or six hours in. Yeah. So I'll certainly have a stronger opinion next time we talk if I can dedicate some time to it. But I'm excited to play more of that game. But, I mean, tellingly, I'm still kind of more excited to keep collecting power moons. (laughs) So. No, I can't blame you for that. But I am also glad that you're enjoying Zelda. Yeah. A lot. Because that means that I can recommend <laughs> Zelda games to you. And Are you just going to start off with your favorite, A Link to the Past? My favorite is Link's Awakening, sir. Oh, How dare you? <laughs> Link to the Past is most people's favorite. Well, a lot of people's favorite. Yeah. It's usually either Link to the Past or Ocarina of Time. Some Majora's Mask, but less. Yeah, some, some people will say Majora's Mask. Some weirdos, like my roommate. I feel like Wind Waker is the... the underground choice now yeah the the choice that people say is underrated but so many people are saying it that it's not underrated anymore the final fantasy 9 of zelda games (laughs) i say that because final fantasy 9 is my favorite yes you do (laughs) wind waker is very good and that's that's up there for me but yeah link's awakening is my favorite probably partially because it's one of my first zelda games yeah nostalgia Uh, Yeah, there's definitely nostalgia in there. Uh, I don't know if that would be my first recommendation, but it would definitely be an eventual one. Well, speaking of nostalgia, I think that's a good segue into Undertale. Yeah. Because Undertale is a video game made by nostalgia. (laughs) It is. Undertale probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for nostalgia. That's a great way to put it. So yeah, I recommended Undertale to you. You did. Last episode. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. We're going to do something different than last episode in that we're going to try to have (laughs) some spoiler-free discussion first. (laughs) (laughs) Look, last episode was the first time we actually had a conversation about a recommended game. Some mistakes were made, and we're learning. Yes, And we we appreciate you hanging out with us while we learn. (laughs) Thanks, guys. So... I'll start by saying what Undertale is, what Undertale's about. The basic plot of Undertale is that it takes place in the setting where monsters and humans used to live together in harmony, but then humans exiled monsters to the underground, and they haven't been seen on the surface in a long time. You play as a human child who accidentally trips and falls into the underground, and you're trying to get back home. That's, that's a that's, very good non-spoiler way to talk about the plot of the game. Yeah, that's a very basic story, and there's so much more to the game than that. This game is made by Toby Fox, 
We talked a little about this last episode. He hasn't really made a game before this. Before, he was mostly known for making music for uh, the Homestuck webcomic. The extent of what we knew about his programming experience was that he made a ROM hack of Earthbound. Uh, it was Halloween-themed. I think it was called the Halloween hack. No, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm glad he, he got better at naming things. Yeah, he <laughs> he had an idea for a video game, and he put it on the Kickstarter. Undertale, the friendly game where no one has to die. I think that's the tagline. Now, did you back it on Kickstarter? I did not back it on Kickstarter. I heard about it, and I saw that there was a demo, but I, I didn't pick it up for whatever reason. I'm like, oh, okay. This seems interesting, but whatever. <laughs> I I ignored it. It's I not did. Pokemon. <laughs> I ignored it, but I was a little intrigued. Then it came out in October 2015. I started to see some very positive impressions of it. And then I got it right away. I'm like, oh, it's only 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. I, and I was interested in this before. So I picked it up. I played through it. I loved it. And here we are. I've recommended it to you. You have. One of the things about this game is that it sort of plays on a lot of expectations, right? Yeah. Expectations of what an RPG is and expectations made by a lot of its inspiration. One of its biggest inspirations is Earthbound. Right. And it's probably no coincidence that Earthbound is also one of my favorite games ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a cute little quirky role-playing game that also changed so much what an RPG could be, I guess. Maybe that's not the way I want to word it. It's it's an RPG that surprised people. It told a, it endeavored to tell a different story. Yes. It told a much more personal story than a lot of RPGs at the time were telling. Yeah. Because it focused so much on the life of one kid. Yeah. And it was like a modern story. And right. this kid and his friends were also relatable. Right. You know, it, it felt... It felt really cozy and real in a lot of ways, even though it was about an alien invasion, which I don't <laughs> think any of us have experienced yet. That's what you think. But <laughs> I, mean, I think, interestingly, Earthbound these days is remembered so much more for its story than its gameplay. Yes, which is admittedly pretty archaic right. these days. Yeah, it really is, because it's such a memorable story and filled with so much charm and memorable moments. Something I think that Undertale has a lot in common with it on. But I'm the one that recommended it to you. you. What uh? What are your thoughts of it? Like your base, your base thoughts. How did you like Undertale? You you beat it, mm-hmm. and what what do you think? Well, let's let's do a spoiler free yes. base level thought first. Yes, which my thought is Undertale is a good game. Awesome. If you enjoy video games that it is referencing, so any games from that era, I have played a little bit of Earthbound, but I haven't played through all of earthbound i don't think that's necessary to enjoy undertale i think not as long as you're familiar or interested in games from that era similar games to earthbound yeah um i think you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of undertale yeah but i think even if you don't have any familiarity or any interest in those games i think undertale is still an enjoyable experience it's not super long and i i think and we'll talk about this more we'll talk about all this more as we get into the spoiler territory but I think for a game that was primarily made by one person, it's a great accomplishment. 
Oh, yeah. And I think that deserves to be acknowledged. And I think that alone makes it a game worth playing because that's what, what Toby Fox and the rest of his team, but I mean, you know, it was primarily Toby Fox yeah. was able to pull off is, is pretty impressive. I, I agree. And I'm glad that you liked it. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that at least that, like, it, it sounds like you liked it, but you didn't love it. Well, I'm still sorting out a lot of my feelings about the game. Okay. I think that's probably true. Okay. I think I'm probably in the like and enjoy category more than I'm in the love category. That's and fair. I don't I don't want that to come across as like a knock against the game. Right. I, I wanna make sure that like as I'm investigating my feelings as well, that like I there are games that are worth playing. Yeah. Even if they don't automatically vault into your top ten yeah. for a life changing experience. Like Right. I'm hesitating because I'm trying to figure out how to say this without spoiling things, but to go back to the conversation we were having about Death Stranding, Undertale plays with a lot of tropes and assumptions about video games. Yeah. And it does it in a way that I really enjoyed a lot of the time. Yeah. And that alone makes it worth playing. That awesome. alone makes it a game that I highly respect and highly enjoyed. I'm saying a lot of words because I... No, you're saying The end of the sentence is still, <laughs> I don't think I loved it. That's understandable and that's fair. When I recommended to you, this to you, I did think he probably won't love this as much <laughs> as I do. Right. And I think I even said that out loud. Yes, I think so. But I'm happy with, with at least you liking it, at least you appreciating like all the new, unique things that it does. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like I think we can also say this before we get into spoiler-free territory, and then I'm, I really want to just start oh, going. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the characters, yeah. the uh, art, the designs, it's all great. It's all really really great awesome and i think the single best thing the game does better than anything else we're going to talk about is the music yes um, oh man the music yes. is absolutely incredible uh sometimes some areas got a little bit like repetitive but the music itself the variance between like the different music for the different bosses the different worlds it's it's i think the game's strongest component max I'm so happy <laughs> you love the music because it's one of my favorite soundtracks in any video game, but I wasn't sure how you would feel because you don't always like video game music. Well, I think less I don't always like it, more I don't always notice it. I I don't always appreciate it. So I guess I'm going to share a story about Ooh. us when we were younger. I actually have no idea what this story's going to be, so I'm <laughs> really interested. So... When I lent you Chrono Trigger on the yeah. DS, you were playing through it, and you know, you were enjoying the game, I think. Yeah. It's great. There's. <laughs> and one of the things I call, love. Uh, hmm? the, uh, oh, okay. I think I know you're Yeah. <laughs> one of the things I love about Chrono Trigger is the soundtrack. Yeah. Although there is one song in the game, mm. uh, Robo's theme, that yeah. sounds very similar to Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. <laughs> so one day I text you, wondering how far you are in Chrono Trigger. Have you been Rickrolled by Robo yet? And you respond, what? I don't know what that means. And like, I've, I, do you know who Robo is? Have you gotten to Robo? It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm at the end of time right now. And I'm like, D then... The, the the Robo theme! <laughs> Gatsby, they were going to give you up. He's like, oh, really? I've been playing with the sound off this whole time. I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't like the music, so I turned the sound off. You turned the sound off on Chrono Trigger? I was offended. I was, I was baffled. I was... 
I don't remember. Astounded. This is really interesting because I I know your memory of this is correct. <laughs> Not because I remember it happening, but just because I know our both of our memories. <laughs> but I was playing it. This was when I was in college, I think, yeah. or maybe just after. You, you were in college. And yeah. I was playing it on the DS. So I was probably playing it a lot of places where I couldn't have the sound on. And I don't ask me why I wasn't playing with headphones. I don't know. <laughs> but I think maybe i was being a little bit of a brat to you i think really probably more of the reason i wasn't listening to the soundtrack is because i was playing it out and about without headphones okay that i was probably just being i never ever got that piece of information so this whole time i'm like i mean there's probably there's definitely truth in whatever i said to you huh oh that you didn't like the i don't remember not liking it (laughs) i remember more being out in public but i'm sure you're right i'm sure i was also I mean, that's okay. I don't have to like every soundtrack. Oh, no, you, you don't. But, but yeah, the the fact that you didn't like the music for Chrono Trigger basically just made me put, like, a fact, like, in my head. It's like, okay, Max doesn't like music that sounds video gamey. And that just stayed, like, like a, like a scripture in my head oh, all this time. Because I don't have that conception of myself. I'm not saying it's not true. Right. I haven't investigated that internally. I don't think I, I as a rule, dislike video game music. I mean... I think Undertale soundtrack is very video gaming. It is, and it doesn't... I, yeah. And you love it. Yeah, I think it's a great soundtrack. Let's bring it back to Undertale. Okay, yeah, no, we're, we're there. We're, we're back at... Yeah, yeah so, it's so fantastic. It's the game's singular strength. Well, not singular as in the only, but like its most it's prominent greatest strength, strength. Is, yeah. the, is its soundtrack. For sure. In fact, we'll talk about them more. There are some boss fights that I really, really despised. Um, and one of the things that kept me going was, was the, the, the amazing music <laughs> yeah. yeah i oh man yeah i agree so hard okay cool i right, think it's with that to, yeah no yeah. so spoilers ahoy no. yeah okay so as per last episode there will be timestamps in the description of whatever you're watching or listening to this on oh god are you recording us now <laughs> surprise uh <laughs> yeah there's going to be timestamps so as you might have gathered, this is a game that is absolutely worth knowing very little about before you play it. I would totally mm-hmm. recommend that you, if you plan on playing it even a little bit, you go and play it before listening to our spoiler impressions. So, I agree. It's only, I don't know, six to ten hours long. So, you know, it's not, yeah, you have plenty of time to go play it and then come back and listen to us. Yes. And coming back and listening to us is the more important oh, yeah. equation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but in the meantime, you can skip ahead yeah. to where it says that I recommend, or where it says that Max recommends the next game to me. Correct. In the timestamps. So, Undertale spoilers. Where Undertale do you want to spoilers. start? Where do we start? Man, that's a great question. So, Okay, okay so we'll, we'll start with the most obvious thing, I guess. Uh, which... Yeah. Like, which ending did you get? Which playthrough did you do? So I uh, I played through it once. Right. And I did a true pacifist playthrough. Yes. Cool. Uh, same. That was also my experience with it. I think that's that's kind of the most important Undertale experience right. to have. And we're going to... We'll talk about all the different experiences you can have. Sure. Uh, but yeah, how how was it? How was, how was that playthrough? It was um, really enjoyable. I, I actually wasn't planning on talking about this until a little bit later, but we can talk about it at the front, mm-hmm. which is, I think the thing I most appreciate about Undertale is it does a very good job of deconstructing the video game and specifically the RPG idea. Yes. 
that a character's growth is inextricably linked to killing things. Yeah. Or to destroying things. Yeah. That is a thought that is kind of threaded throughout the game, but it's brought up a, a lot towards the end of the game. That idea that in a pacifist run, if you didn't kill anything, you didn't grow, quote right. unquote. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great take on that idea. And I won't say it was done subtly because it was like kind of a major theme of the game. Oh, yeah. But you weren't beaten over the head with it throughout the playthrough. It, the game never explicitly said like, hey, you won't grow if you don't kill this frogman. Right. It was just something you intuited because you never got experience points. Yeah. Or execution points, I think they're called in this game. Yeah. <laughs> um, or it's something that like, you know, you knew from knowing the game. Right. So I, I really, really appreciated that. And I think in addition to that, I also really appreciated it's difficult in a video game. Yeah. It's difficult to gamify pacifism. Yeah. It's different, difficult, I think, to make a system in a combat game Yeah, about pacifism. Yes. And I thought that that was pulled off really well. It's difficult to do that and obviously not make it passive. Yes. Right? Like to make you still an engaged player yeah, you... while being pacifist. Yeah, you so you liked the the talking mechanic where you would Yeah, I liked the talking mechanic. I liked the kind of the um the heart mechanic that was informed from a lot of rhythm and puzzle and um, al and mechanics. Also, and also like bullet hell shooters. Yeah, but yeah, I think the three main influence points would be rhythm, puzzle and um bullet hell and shooters. Bullet hell shooters. I, I liked the way that that was all distilled into one system that felt organic. Mm -hmm. Um very difficult at times and not always in a good way <laughs> yeah um but it felt it felt true to the world it didn't feel tacked on it didn't feel um like it diluted the experience i think that's that was extraordinarily difficult to pull off i think they did pull off yeah the caveat to all this for me uh, and this is like the whole thing for undertale yeah is it presents a very binary view of the world mm -hmm. you know you're either you either kill nothing <laughs> <laughs> or you kill everything. <laughs> and more interesting things happen for me in gray areas. Yeah. Undertale is not a game of gray areas. Do you want to rebut that? Uh, I do. Go ahead. I Because I, I disagree. One of the things you didn't get to experience is, I mean, by playing true pacifist, you got a neutral ending, but you didn't see the range of how many neutral endings you could get. I'm not... Okay, you're right. Yeah. I'm not necessarily talking about... I'm talking about the theme of the game. Right. Not necessarily the actual playing of the game. Okay. I think... And maybe I'm wrong if I, if I played more and saw more. But I think if you distill the game down to its core, take mm -hmm. out all of the permutations, mm -hmm. essentially it's making an argument... Not a necessarily an argument that Toby Fox holds about the world, right. but essentially it's presenting a world to you that is black and white, hmm. in my opinion. Interesting. And you can see that within the pacifist path. If you mm -hmm. kill anything, you can't unlock the true pacifist ending. ending. Yeah. Okay. And you are a child in this world who is constantly being attacked by monsters. Yeah. And it's noble but bullshit to say <laughs> that killing something that's attacking you is anti-pacifist interesting i think that you this is not this is a video game thing you're right. presented with paths because that's how a game has to be programmed right you're presented with paths that are inherently limited 
Yeah. And in that limitation, sometimes it fights against the intended theme, mm. which is, I guess that friction is what I'm feeling. Okay. And again, this is all to say Undertale is still a great game. I still really appreciated this vision. Right. But I did feel that friction, that kind of limited storytelling ability. Interesting. In the pacifist playthrough. Okay. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, I guess I just kind of felt the opposite because killing was always an option. Right. And and it's interesting that you mentioned that like it, one kill locks you out of the best ending in the game. And I guess you're right. That That is like kind of a strong limitation, isn't it? But I did love like how many different endings there can be depending on who you did or didn't kill. Like the end of the game, the neutral ending where Sans calls you on the phone and tells you yeah. what happened after you left, that can be so different depending on who you kill, if you kill really? anyone. Yeah. That's cool. So, uh, yes. There are like over a dozen different possible messages you can get from Sans, and all of them have different little like nuggets here and there depending on specific actions you took on top of that. That's very cool. And yeah. I, I love that level of content. And I want to be clear that what I'm saying yeah. isn't related to content. Right. I'm not saying that the content of the game is limited right. by this binary view of a world. I'm saying that the theme in order to put you on a path, yeah. they've written in a binary view of a world which is which causes friction for the story they're trying to tell, in my okay. opinion. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I I'm picking that up. I'm yeah. Yeah, interesting point. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So what happened in my playthrough was Sans called me on the phone, like, for the neutral ending. And Toriel, mm -hmm. Goat Mom, as the kids love to call her, came out from the ruins and sort of revealed that she's the queen of the underworld, uh, who sort of exiled herself. Now that Asgore's dead, she reestablishes herself as the ruler and basically makes a decree that no harm can come to any new humans that enter the underground. She hires Papyrus as a royal guard, which is kind of just like a figurehead role now. In my phone call, because I spared Undyne, but I didn't make friends with her after that, mm -hmm. uh, Papyrus tells me on the phone that Undyne hates yeah, me Yeah, okay, I had that same Yeah, moment. yeah. Because I didn't make friends with Undyne until after yeah, 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 same. Like, Undyne hates me because I killed Asgore, I left, I humiliated her. Like, and you mean, did you kill Asgore or did you spare Asgore and then Asriel came and killed Asgore? I, I spared Asgore. Okay, me too. Flo Flowey came in and finished him off like a dick. I, <laughs> oh man, oh man, I'm, when we talk about Flowey more, I really want to talk about Flowey more. But anyway... Undyne hates my ass, and you know things things are good in the underworld, uh, mm. more or less. And I should I should come back sometime, but look out for Undyne because she's mad. That that was basically my phone yeah. That's, call. That, that was my call too. Yeah, same. Yeah, there there can be a lot of different ways that goes. For example, if if you kill Toriel, Undyne becomes the new ruler, <laughs> and she has a vendetta of revenge against you now. <laughs> uh, if if Toriel comes out, but you've killed other monsters, she tries to make a decree that no harm comes to humans that enter the underworld, and uh, and the monsters revolt huh. against Toriel because no humans 
aren't good. Right. A, a human came through and killed a bunch of us. We're we're not following that rule. And if Undine's alive, she over she's the leader of that revolution against Oriel. Interesting. And there's a there's a bunch of different stuff. If you kill Papyrus, Sans doesn't make small talk with you when he calls. He just tells you what happens and tells you not to come back. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of different versions of what happens, and it's all yeah, it's all really neat. cool, really yeah. different. Do you know about the No Mercy playthrough? I don't. So No Mercy is when you kill everything. When you kill every monster you run into, and you kill every boss. Uh, the playthrough is very different. It's so bleak. It's so. Did you do it, or did uh, you just look it up? I I watched a playthrough of Genocide mm-hmm. or of No Mercy after I watched uh, after I beat the game myself and got through Pacifist. Because I was like, I got you pacifist. I can't, I can't taint this game with the No Mercy <laughs> playthrough. Because one thing I love about this game is that it remembers things that you do even when you don't save. Right. Have you, did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to jump back to your experience. Did you kill anyone by accident in your playthrough? Did, for example, when you fought Toriel, did you accidentally kill her not knowing you could spare her? No, I spared her. Okay, cool. That happens... What I just said happens to a lot of first-time players. Yeah. They kill Toriel, realize that they could have spared her, and restart the game and spare her, right? When you do that, and you walk out of the ruins and Flowey says hi to you, if you killed Toriel and reset so that you could spare her, Flowey lets you know that he knows what you did. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. He's like, you reset, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. A lot of um, the interaction with Flowey specifically reminded me of Pony Island. Ooh, nice reference. Especially a lot of the end of the game where mm. like the, you know, the, the game load, the game save, the game failure stuff. And like, yeah. you know, the the game crashing and all that mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of Pony Island. That's, yeah, that's a comparison I didn't make, but that's a really good one. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Flowey is such an interesting character to me. This game has made me feel a lot of emotions that I've never really gotten out of the game. Flowey gave me anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, when you spare Asgore Mm -hmm. and Flowey comes up and kills him and then just, like, laughs at you for trying so hard and failing and the game crashes... When he does his laughing face, when he taunts you, I was shaking <laughs> when the game closed. Wow. I, I was actually shaking when that happened. I was like, holy shit, this, this game is something unique. You know, yeah. that's, so I'm really glad that you, that you got to the ending, that you got to that point. Uh, because I think, I think before you get to the end of Undertale, you haven't scratched the surface of what it is yet. I agree. <clears throat> That's one of the things that I, I kind of also question about the game is the quote-unquote ending for the neutral path. Right. It doesn't feel like an ending, and I think that's on purpose because you're, yes. the game wants you to keep, but I don't know. It felt a little underwhelming. It was just like, okay, this is the thing, and I, now you can go off these... You can If, if you've played the game right, yeah. you can go off on one of these two other paths. Yes. Yeah. 
I agree. I agree that if you only play through the neutral path, that's a bit unsatisfying. I was kind of expecting you to come here and be like, "Oh, I only got the neutral ending," Ha-ha! And, and then I could, and then I could like urge you to get true pacifist because no, that's where it's at. Yeah. Uh, but no, you you pleasantly surprised me. I'm really glad that you. Well, uh, that's the you... first time for everything. <laughs> uh, I so really... you talked a little bit about um, the anxiety that you <laughs> felt with uh, Flowey. Yeah. I'm gonna guess. About who some of your favorite characters might have been. Okay. I'm going to guess that you really like Sans and Papyrus. Oh, man. You got it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'm going to guess that the hardest that you laughed in the game was when you go back to Undyne's house with Papyrus and he sets you up on this friend date and then he jumps out a window. <laughs> uh, that's definitely up there. Man, there were a lot of seasons of the game that made me laugh really hard, and Papyrus is responsible for most of them. I did appreciate the pun that Papyrus and Sans, their their text was written in Papyrus and Comic Sans. Yes. That was cute. Yeah. I appreciate really that. I, I love everyone's voices, as in some characters have sort of a Star Fox-esque like, sound that plays mm-hmm. when they talk. And I love that Sans is just like weird laughing. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, hoo, 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 hoo. yeah, mm-hmm. that was, uh, Stephanie was uh, on the couch next to me when I started playing the game. And that was her first comment was she looked up and she's like, this game makes weird sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and it was when Sans was talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was good. Yeah. I do love them both. You're right. The whole cast did grow on me like a lot though. Like even Undyne and Alphys. I didn't love them from the start, like I did with Sands of Papyrus, but I loved pretty much everyone in the cast by the end. Yeah. I think the game does a great job with the characters of infusing a childlike simplicity yeah. and glee into the way the characters interact with each other. Yeah. You know, in addition to the crazy randomness and the off-the-wall absurdity, there is kind of a unifying exuberance that all the characters share yeah. that is very endearing. Yes, that's one thing that I feel it has in common with Earthbound in a really Mm. good way is that all the dialogue just has this quirkiness and this charm to it. And it's it's very endearing and adorable. Did you, by any chance, stumble upon one of the better Easter eggs in the game? Which is? Uh, You know how Papyrus gives you his number? Yeah. If you call him at any point of the game, he'll, you know, he'll pick up the phone and talk to you. His dialogue is different for every room that you're in. I talked to him in many places. I didn't talk to him in every room. And I did notice that there was different dialogue. <laughs> it was like, hey, you're in the thing now. Yeah. 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 And some of those conversations are hilarious. So I'm I glad think it's to- just like, uh, you know, going back to the vision of one creator. Yeah. I think the depth of what Toby Fox was able to put into the game while oh, still yeah. making a complete game yeah. with like robust systems uh, speaks a lot to his dedication to the game and yeah it's pretty cool it is pretty cool okay so talked about characters and we talked about how interesting the combat is and you you did like the combat i did i really enjoyed the mechanic for the combat there were some bosses <laughs> yeah that were too hard yes um specifically muffet mm-hmm. and what what really frustrates me about muffet is i think she was bad design right because Unless you bring one random specific item from the game the game to her, or you have nine hundred and ninety nine gold or undertale dollars right when there's only one store in the game that you can sell anything at and it's hidden, 
Yeah. You're locked into a fight with her, and that fight lasts 17 rounds. Yes. And it's also one of the hardest fights in the game. It's super hard. I thought that was bad design. I I do see where you're coming from on that, and it was a pretty frustrating part of the game. I, uh... <laughs> You know, last night, I got a text from you that was just like, I fucking hate Muffet. I fucking hate this boss battle. And I laughed because that's where I got sucked for the first time, too. I I think that it is too hard. It goes on too long. And Toby Fox has actually mentioned in postmortems. He's like, I think maybe I made Muffet too hard. Yeah. And he went on to say, that's actually kind of funny to me because I nerfed Muffet. Multiple times before I shipped. Yeah. She used to be harder somehow. I'm not sure how. Well, like, to to clarify the point, I don't have any problem, like, extraordinarily tough bosses in RPGs and JRPGs, because it's actually a trope of them. Right. When they're optional. (laughs) And the ways in which to make Muffet optional were, frankly, kind of horseshit. (laughs) <laughs> so you got locked unless you knew unless you knew ahead of time right which is a bad way to play undertale or, or unless you you know unless you have it by like a absurd coincidence yeah absurd, absurd coincidence pre-knowledge yeah unless you had one of those two things you were locked into a fight that was frustratingly hard yeah and again i'm not against frustratingly hard bosses if you want them to be quote-unquote optional you should make them actually optional right I also got stuck on Muffet, but I kind of had a different experience than you, I guess, because it was really hard, but I did feel really satisfied when I beat her, and the boss was also fun. I loved the way the boss itself was designed, even though it was so hard. The fucking giant spider that, like, follows you and you had to, like, you know, jump to avoid it, that was always, like, so tense. Yeah. But... In a really, like, exciting way. I was actually really into that boss battle, and I think I would have gotten tired of it sooner if it didn't have one of the best tracks. It has a fantastic track. Yeah. It really has a fantastic track. And what I'll say to that is, I agree with you on principle, but I think if it had been 12 iterations, I would have felt satisfied after beating it. Yes. But to get through 17 iterations... It, I didn't. I actually didn't feel any satisfaction. There are other bosses in the game that were very hard that when I finally beat, I felt great satisfaction. Nice. Um, like all the bosses at the end, basically. <laughs> yeah. That are all very hard. But yes. I when I beat Muffet, I I didn't feel anything. <laughs> I was just like fucking finally. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's fair. She is a little too hard. She's probably the hardest boss in the game, and that's stupid. I think so. I think. Um, Asriel would have been the hardest boss if it wasn't set up so when you die, you just keep going. Mm-hmm. I was ready to throw my controller across the room, and then I realized that losing didn't, dying didn't lose progress in that fight. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, great. That's that's good. I actually managed to beat Asriel on my first try. I didn't even, like, fake die. I just beat him, and that was cool. Maybe I'm thinking, oh, wait. No, I'm thinking of Omega Flowey. Omega Flowey. I'm thinking of Omega Flowey. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Redact that. Omega Flowey. Is the oh. boss I'm thinking of. Okay, right. Who, uh, since you're here, you obviously know that Omega Flowey is Asriel Dreamer, the son of Asgore and Toriel. Uh, and I guess they uh, named their child after themselves. Why not? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fun little fact that you may or may not have noticed. 
Uh, Asriel Dreamer is an anagram for serial murderer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fun, fun fact. But yeah, Omega Flowey was really hard. I think I I might have had to do a couple tries for Omega Flowey. Well, you don't really have to do tries because like when you die, you don't restart. You just keep going. Right. Even, yeah. Like when you're in the uh, the soul phases. Yeah. You just keep going. I I think I think. I think there's a point in Omega Flowey where that starts happening, but if yeah, you... once you unlock the phases of the souls, I think yeah, exactly. But if you die before that, you have yeah. to start over. Uh, you're right. You're yeah. right. That that took me a few tries to get through that because okay, that was very bullet helly. Oh yeah, and I wasn't really prepared for the, that level the of bullet helliest part of the game. Yeah, 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 man. So I was talking about before when I recommended this game to you. I said this game. Uh, transcends like a lot of expectations it's it sets your expectations right. in a lot of ways right. and then it surprises you and of course when you when i say that you obviously think i'm talking about the story uh and maybe the mechanics but one way i love that it also sort of subverted your expectations is like it did that with the music it did that with the visuals it did that with like every aspect of the game the game is like four by three right like resolution wise for most of the game but i think i might be remembering this wrong when you fight omega flowey he fills up the whole screen suddenly yeah, he does. right he he starts using like 3d effects in battle and yes. like and he's full color when the game had had this when the battle system had had this black and white aesthetic previously like suddenly like the rules you thought the game had it just breaks those rules for these major parts of the game yeah the music has a very specific sound font uh it's it's very 16-bit very beeps and boops but when you get to the final bosses of the game suddenly you get like these surround sound like experiences right like when asgore's theme plays and you get like that chorus mm -hmm. i was like oh this sounds awesome and they wait till then to break it out the game does a really good job of messing with the fourth wall. Yes. While never a, a directly addressing the, the player. Right. Never, like, fully breaks the fourth wall, but yeah. it's constantly chipping away at it in a yes. really cool way. Yeah, I agree. Like, when in that, when at the start of the Asgore battle, when he takes his, like, trident and he hits the mercy option away from the battle. Yes. <laughs> it's really cool. That's really cool. By the way, did you get stuck on that for as long as I did? I got stuck on it, and then I said, fuck this, and... There's a way to farm money out of Temi's shop. Yeah. Um, if you buy the cloud glasses from the Turtle Man, yeah. Temi will buy those for 20 gold more. Okay. So it took me about half an hour, but I was <laughs> able to do that loop enough times where if you send Temi to college for a <laughs> thousand gold. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. Okay, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> One of the options at Temi's shop. Uh, Temi shop is also where you can sell stuff. The only shop in the game you can sell stuff, and it's kind of a hidden shop. Yeah. Uh, if you spend a thousand gold to send her to college, mm -hmm. she comes back with a suit of armor that she learned how to make in college, uh -huh. which then you can spend seven hundred and fifty gold to buy. And that suit of armor is high, the highest level defense of the game. It also makes your attack stronger, and it makes you invulnerable for longer when you get hit. Oh, wow. and you regain one hit point every other turn. I'm, so man. I I found that out because I was like, how the fuck did I beat Asgore? And someone's like, well, you can go get Tammy's armor. I was like, great. <laughs> I mean, 
six of one, half dozen the other. I could have maybe spent that half hour right. trying the Asgore fight and just right. winning. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to go do this. It'll be fun to do anyway. And so okay. I did that. Yeah. And then I beat it on my next try. That's really cool. I didn't do any of that. I just beat my <laughs> head against that fight for a long time. But part of me beating my head against that fight was he he destroys the mercy option, right? But me, I'm going like, you know what? I've been able to spare every character up to this point. If I'm stubborn enough, I'll get uh, to spare Asgore. You just so I talked to him for hours and yeah. died for hours until finally, like, I look it up. It's like, you have to fight Asgore. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I wasted, yeah. I wasted so much time. So then you you fight him until he submits, and then you can spare him. Right. I, I may have I may have been more in line with your begging the head against the wall had it not been like two thirty in the morning, right? And so I tried it like five times and then yeah. looked it up instead of like for two hours and looked it up. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. But it was a great fight. It was to me the antithesis of the Muffet fight because it was hard <laughs> in a lot of good ways. Yes, agreed. I I have one minor quibble with it, which is that in a pacifist run you don't know how to attack things. So to be learning how to do the attack function in on the, the final boss yeah. was frustrating. Agreed. Because yeah. it's a timing-based attack system that like yeah. I did not know was happening on the screen in front of me. Right. I wish that there had been a way to learn that in a pacifist run before that moment. I understand why that might have been tricky. Yeah. But, yeah. No, that's fair. I, uh... Yeah, I, I got the hang of it soon enough, but I yeah, totally... It's not yeah, it's not... Again, yeah. very minor quibble. Because right. it's not difficult. Yes. It's just being dropped into that in the... One of the most climactic moments. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, <laughs> like yeah, you see how an attack works for the first time right. in that fight if you're... Yeah, you're right. But I guess thematically that's kind of probably what they're going for. Like, yeah. this character has no idea how to... Like, if you're playing a true pacifist run, yeah. you as a 10-year-old have no idea how to hurt things. Yeah. So you would flail and struggle... Thematically, I get that as a player is a little like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Did you notice the latif motifs in the soundtrack? Late motifs? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe. But yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot of, like, recurring music mm -hmm. in this game. That's a late motif. Yeah. Cool, good, I, I got that. I got that right, sort of, except I said yeah, it wrong. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, all right. Right. <laughs> One thing that's that's obvious is like the main theme, right? Like the title theme, you hear the beginning, you hear it again in the final boss, you hear mm -hmm. it in a lot of different points. One of the ones I love the most, Asgore's theme, when you fight Asgore, and Toriel's theme are different versions of each other. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, Heart, cool. yeah, Heartbreak and Asgore are the same theme song. Toriel's is a sadder version, and Asgore's is a more like aggressive, triumphant version. That's I cool. love it. Yeah. Um, I, again, I... We can't say enough how great the music in the game is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was your favorite track, actually? Why don't we just... It, I mean, off the top of my head, you know what it was? It was um, when you are going through Toriel's home at the end of the game. And, like, there's the yellow flowers in, in places. Oh, yeah. Um, so not at, the, not at the very end, not at the true pacifist ending. Right. But on your way to fight Asgore. Yeah. There's this very melancholy song that plays and it was getting me a little bit emotional yeah that was my favorite track that song is called undertale oh well, yeah we great yeah and, and it's so good <laughs> it's that great. song it's is so good. good my favorite theme is actually probably asgore's theme mm -hmm. like losing that fight so much the <laughs> the blow was softened because that music was so good yeah yeah 
Nah. Um, loved it. Let's see. Any more, like, notes you have? No, we actually, I'm just looking through my notes here. We hit on everything I wanted to say. Awesome. Right. I, I guess I'll tell you more about some of the possibilities you missed then, uh, just to fill you in. So there's the No Mercy run, right? If you do the No Mercy run and you kill every boss, you kill every monster, uh, the the final boss is different, right? Like the neutral run, your your final boss is Omega Flowey slash Hascore. Pass true pacifist run, the final boss is Azrael Dreamer. Um final boss, you get to that churchy part, right? And Sans judges you. He fights you. Oh really? He is Sans is the final boss of the sense. No Mercy run. Yeah. And he is the actual hardest boss in the entire game. He's That's harder fitting. than yeah, he's harder than Muffet. And it's it's absurd. I would look up that boss fight, you know, on on your spare time because uh, it makes Muffet look easy. I will I'm, do that. I, <laughs> I'm curious to see that for myself, but yeah. I don't think it's likely I'll play through the game again. Oh yeah, no, like so I, I'll, I'll look that up. For yeah, sure. especially one of the things we touched on is the game remembers what you do, right? So when I finish the true pacifist run, I'm like, well, if I do a genocide run the game will know that I did a true pacifist run and then killed everyone. And I want the game to know I did that. Yeah, you don't so... need another video game judging you. <laughs> Fire! <laughs> so so I, I found a video online that showed all the differences of a No Mercy run, and I just watched yeah, that I'll all the way through. Because um, was... neither of us exactly care about platinum trophies anyway. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. And uh, and once once you've played through the full game, I'd say that's a worthy way to do it. I think so. It would maybe be different for me if your character walked faster. Right. But I don't want to go through the game again at that pace. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I'm really glad that if you do a if you do a neutral pacifist run and you beat the game, it just plops you outside Asgore's door yes. if you load yes. the save back up. If you kill a single monster after the ending... You have to start the whole thing over. Jeez. So I'm really glad he didn't kill Yeah, me too. This conversation would have gone quite differently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is something I think is not great design, actually. I I agree. I, I think that's kind that. of tethered through some of the things we've said about the design, which is this idea of, like, it's a game that's better played when you have zero knowledge of it. Some of the ways to play the game and get the most value out of it yeah. require a little bit of knowledge or luck yes. or circumstance or just really strong intuition. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, so that, there, that is a gate. That yeah. is a barrier for people. It, it is, yeah. I'm really glad you played through Undertale. I'm really happy. Yeah, I am too. I appreciate that you recommended it to me. Thank you. Yeah. I had a good time with it. I think it's a game that is... that I'm. I, it's a game I'm really glad I played. Cool. And I um, think for the listeners out there, uh, if you played and enjoyed Undertale, a slight recommendation that you try Pony Island. It's not... It's definitely hmm. not as good of a game. Uh, it's got a more kind of boring gameplay loop for a lot of the game but it it subverts expectations and plays with the fourth wall in a lot of the same ways i will offer my own recommendation for sort of a meta game that subverts expectations doki doki literature club <laughs> is a <laughs> game a is a game that does for the anime dating sim genre what undertale does for rpgs cool yeah, it's cool. There you go. Two recommendations fresh from us to you. Ooh. Ooh. Change, speaking about changing the fourth wall <laughs> of our podcast. So that's Undertale. And again, thank you, Daniel, for the recommendation. I highly enjoyed the game. 
thank you for playing it. I'm glad that someone else has played it. It was really nice. Yeah, because it's really hurting for online support. (laughs) (laughs) We very kindly left out that that portion of the conversation. (laughs) We, We did. So now it's time for my recommendation to you for the next time we do our podcast. Yeah. And I've been waffling back and forth on a couple of games that I could recommend to you. Right. And I think the one I've decided on going with is not necessarily the one you thought I was going to go with. Because we've, we're starting to assert a pattern. Right. I want to break that pattern up. Okay. So I'm going to re- recommend to you one of my favorite games of all time. It's probably in my top three if I had to put a number on it now. Cool. Which I'm realizing the more we do this podcast, like I do that a lot. And which is interesting because I don't really find value in doing that. But I keep ranking things in tops. Anyway, the game <laughs> is Fallout 2. Yes. Um, I played a lot of this game uh, in like middle school and early high school. Uh, so Fallout 2 is a role-playing game for the computer. Mm-hmm. It was developed by Black Isle Studios and uh, published by Interplay Entertainment. Right. It is the follow-up, naturally, to Fallout or Fallout 1, as it became known after Fallout 2 came out. Right. The reason I'm recommending Fallout 2 to you is because I don't think it's super necessary to have the knowledge of what happened in Fallout 1. I played Fallout 2 before I played Fallout 1, personally. Okay. Um, And I think Fallout 2 is a better game, A, and B, a game that holds up better, more importantly, in this day and age. Okay. Um, Fallout 1 is a great game in its own regard, but I don't think it's as strong um, as Fallout 2 is. I think Fallout 2 gives you a little bit more direction in a really positive way. Okay. Um, And I think it's just, they took what they did in Fallout 1 and and exponentially made it better, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, games I do not enjoy, which is something we can talk (laughs) about when we uh, talk about this game next time. But yeah, it's a fantastic post-apocalyptic RPG from a time before we were inundated with post-apocalyptic stories. We have a lot of them now. We really do. I have played Fallout 3, not 2. Well, okay, I played a little bit of 2. I played the opening of 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about my experience with 3, because I think those two are obviously very different games. Yes. And I played like 5 hours of 3. I really enjoyed the opening, and then once I got past that... It's a great opening. Yeah, great opening. But once I got out of the vault, like the game just got super boring, yep. and I, I didn't really like it after that. Agreed. I feel like I definitely have the potential to have a much different experience with 2. One thing I remember about the half hour that I played of 2 was this. Like, I woke up in, like, a tomb or something, and I was in my underwear running around fighting rats, and the rats killed me, and I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So we're going to have a very short episode next week. Next uh, next time, just what you're saying. (laughs) So, you know, that wasn't the best experience, but yeah. I, I want to be able to push past that this time. One thing I'm kind of worried about is that I know there's a lot of different builds you can make for this game. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have a very attack-based build and, like, brute force your way through stuff. Or you can make a very charisma-based build and talk your way through everything. I think what I did last time is I wanted to make a really charisma-based build, so then I sucked at everything else and the rats killed me. But is... Yeah. Is is there a way to to have my charisma cake and eat it too, or do you recommend like a just like a strength playthrough? If I, I always game? focused on the more fun uh, skills, so like charisma and stuff like that. Right. 
In fact, there's a point in the game. I, no, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Okay. What I'll say to that is Black Isle, in addition to making the Fallout, the first two Fallout games, made a lot of other PC RPGs. Um, and not- most notably, they made one of the Baldur's Gate games, and they actually helped in the development of the first Baldur's Gate game. Uh, Baldur's Gate is a Dungeons & Dragons video game, right? Uh, which has a party-based combat system. And the party, the combat system in Baldur's Gate is real-time, and the combat system in Fallout is uh, turn-based. Okay. So that being said, I find the system in Fallout easier to manage. Okay. And I think one of the things that will help you is your party members can do a lot of the heavy lifting for you okay. in combat. And I'll also say you don't have to throw all of your points into charisma and things like that to get the benefits of those things. Okay. And because there are different weapon styles, you can choose the one that most fits your character. So if you don't want to be big and bulky and taking a lot of damage, you can get better with long range guns Okay. and then keep your character in the back of fights. Okay. A lot of the combat in Fallout 2 is hard. Okay. And as the game goes on, I think the, the kind of the end of the game is very hard. And there's some optional monsters that are very, very hard. Hmm. Um, but you can always run away from non-story-based combats. I think maybe that's not necessarily obvious because the game is from a different era. Right. If you just run to the edge of the map, you escape the combat. Okay. So there are, at least that's my recollection of it. Okay. Um, there are ways to mitigate the difficulty in combat. But definitely combat is not the main reason I'm recommending this game to you. I'm recommending right. this game to you mostly because I love... Uh, black isles sense of humor i love the world that they created i love a lot of the references that they make which you know it's a a common thread so far for the games we're talking about right i don't want to influence your opinion i don't know if you'll find that stuff as fun and engaging as i did right but i think you'll appreciate some of that stuff and and there is a lot of customization available to you as the player not just in the, the stats that you choose but in the skills that are in the game that you can choose that make you better at certain things and some of them have passive effects, some of them have active effects. I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that in the Fallout world. And to give a simple breakdown of the Bethesda versions of Fallout, there's no fun. <laughs> the Black Isle games, both of them are just fun from end to end, in my opinion. Okay. And the Bethesda ones are bereft of joy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I answered your question... And then went off on a long-ass tangent. No, but to good. come back to your question, <laughs> yes, you can have your charisma kick and eat it too. You just have to get to the point where you have more party members. Okay, got it. Okay, cool. I'm going to play this game, and I'm I'm excited. I think, I think this will go better than last time. <laughs> the famous last words. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you uh, for listening to our podcast about video games. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Once again, we are available on a host of services, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Um, but wherever you listen, we we appreciate if you subscribe, if you rate. Those things are super important. So we appreciate your care in doing that. Yeah. And... We love hearing from you guys as well. If you have any questions for us or want to tell us your own impressions of Fallout 2. Or Undertale. Yeah, or Undertale. We'd love to hear them. Uh, You can tweet those impressions or questions 
to play this podcast on Twitter or email playthiscast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts, we'd love to share them on the podcast next episode. So uh, uh, oh. be sure to include your preferred name if you do that. Yes. We haven't mentioned that before. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Do that so we know how to attribute you. Yes. Speaking of preferred names, I also want to thank Sean Francis for um, our lovely bleeps and bloops that start the show off and finish us off. And I'd like to thank Kessie Rillanicki for providing the awesome logo that adorns every episode of this podcast. Yep. Thank you to both of those wonderful folks. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah. I've been wondering this. Should we have like a trademark sign off? Is that something that you can develop or is that something that organically happens? I don't know. I only like really jump into podcasts that are like 50 episodes <laughs> in. And at that point, they already have like trademark sign offs. You know, I'm wondering, should we work on one? Should we figure one out? Yeah. Okay. I have an idea. Okay. I'm going to whisper it to you. <laughs> He's actually taking my <laughs> headphones off and whispering it to me. Okay, okay what if you say it's dangerous to kill the world and I say play this or the other way around? Uh, we'll try it. Okay, all right. It's dangerous to go alone. Play this. No. You couldn't even get through it. I couldn't. You couldn't even get through it. No. No, okay, no. all right. Maybe our sign-off will be every week we're trying to find a good sign-off. <laughs> until we until we get there. No, we're never going to get there. Bye! <laughs>